0: Well, good morning everybody great to see you here today it's great to be back from the holy land we had a great time but uh, how many know jet lag is a real thing how many know what i'm talking about i think i'm just right now getting my feet back on the ground we got back a week ago saturday and uh, i was up uh, monday at 1 in the morning and couldn't sleep and so i uh, started writing this message that you're just now going to experience so uh, uh it's good to uh have a few days uh to recoup right now, I'm speaking for all of the folks that went with us. Um, Today we're going to talk about a subject that uh, I've never quite put in these terms before, but I'm really excited to share a thought that I believe the Lord has been laying on my heart with regard to the family and our relationships. And I want to talk about the power of compounding interest, which sounds like a financial message, but really I want to talk about the importance of making consistent, committed contributions into the accounts, spiritual, emotional, relational accounts of our family, the people that are most important people in our life. It's easy to become complacent. It's easy to take each other for granted. And so I want us to take some time here today just to reflect on how we can best contribute to really important people in our life. Would you join me as we first pray? Lord, we thank you for the power of your word that speaks to us about family and relationships over and over again And today as we bring the final message in this extraordinary series i pray lord that you will be especially with those that are struggling right now i know within the sound of my voice there are those marriages that are really really going through a tough time i know there are some families that are going through a really really tough time And God, I pray you'll do a miracle. You'll do a a, a restoration in the lives of individual families here today. Make struggling families strong, and strong families even stronger. And I pray you'll do what only you can do in our lives today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. I encourage you not to fall asleep. Go ahead and elbow your neighbor right now. I encourage you to stay awake. I encourage you to take good notes. And I especially want to reach out to our young people. You know, uh, when it comes to family sermons and whatnot, I know that sometimes it seems like a great time to check out. But the reality is, um, if you can learn these lessons early, you will save yourself a lot of pain. And every older person said a big amen. amen. And so really this is a message for all of us, grandmas and grandpas, husbands and wives, parents, children. And I want us to think about some things here today. I want to begin by sharing a few scriptures that for me really collide when I think about this topic. The first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse two, and a couple translations on the screen for you here today. Now it's required of those who have been given a trust to prove faithful. It's required in stewards they be found faithful. Oftentimes we'll use this scripture to talk about finances and resources and giving and generosity, but I want you to think for a moment about the most precious gift you've ever been given, and that is your family. That husband, that wife, those children. There is nothing more important in all the world. If I were to ask you, what's the most important thing in your life? I already know what every one of you would say. My family, that's what I would say. It's the most important treasure that we've been given. And the Bible says that we're to prove faithful. It's a, it's a trust. We're to be good stewards of that incredible gift that God's given us. And there's another scripture that I want us to think about, and that's Galatians 6:9. A couple translations here again. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. And let us not become weary in well doing. Some of you say, Rob, I have been working hard. I've been sacrificing much. I've been committing and incredible amount to my family. Moms and dads, others, you're saying that very same thing. And I just want to encourage you today, this is no time to stop. Keep it up. Keep doing the good things that you're doing. Continue to contribute into the emotional and the spiritual and the the relational uh, depository of of your children, of your spouse, of your parents, of those people that God's entrusted to you. Keep up the good work. Do not become weary in well-doing. Do not give up. One day you're going to reap an incredible harvest if you continue. Some of you are newer to our church, and so I want to just share a little bit about my family. Lisa and I have been married 38 years this coming week. Hello, 38 years. And I, I already know what every one of you are thinking. She deserves a medal. Yes, she does. 38 years, unbelievable. We've raised three grown sons, and... Uh, we're blessed with two incredible daughters-in-law and uh, two uh, awesome sweetest grandchildren you could ever imagine Earl's son Reggie is uh, in school uh, training actually he's, a, he's a, a, an officer in the military United States Army and he's in major training this year and uh, is on track to become a major here soon he and Rachel met at our church and uh, they moved to various places ended up in Germany where our grandson Rowan was born, and then they moved to Kentucky, and now they're on their way to Anchorage, Alaska. you see a trend here, folks? K- Germany, Kentucky, Anchorage. It's getting closer. Let me help some of you people that are slow today. That is a three-and-a-half-hour flight from Payne Field. Can I hear a big amen to that? Wow. Can't wait. going to be exciting. Our second uh, son, Quinn, uh, is a captain in the Army. Both the boys went to West Point. Quinn uh, is going to be completing his uh, duty here this summer, and he's going to go back to Boston and work on his uh, uh, MBA. And so he'll be getting out of the Army, so that's kind of a new thing. And uh, so uh, uh, we're excited for him. And then our youngest son, uh, Britt, is an attorney. Went to uh, law school here at the UW, but is practicing medical law in Phoenix. So our family's scattered all over the place. Three sons, two daughters-in-law, two grandchildren. And they are the most important people in the world to Lisa and me. But we're not here to talk about my family. We're here to talk about your family. And I want you to think about your family. I want you to think about how important they are to you. How important is that husband, that wife? How important are those children? And I already know the answer to that. There is nothing more important in all the world. In all the world. And the question that I want to ask all of us is, are we doing and being what Jesus Christ has called us to do and be with regard to blessing and benefiting our family in the greatest way possible? And I want us to think about that for a few moments here today. The power of compounding interest is obviously a financial concept, but I want us, as I mentioned, to talk about it from the standpoint of our relationships. How can we accumulate and add to and grow love and strength and character in the lives of our family? Albert Einstein said this about compound interest. He said, it's the eighth wonder of the world. And one of the smartest persons who ever lived says it's one of the eighth wonders of the world and likens it to the Great Pyramid of Giza. I think we should probably think about it. And by the way, I was at the Great Pyramid just 10 days ago. Look at these beautiful pictures. Those are big stones they used to build a really big pyramid. It's absolutely mind-boggling. It took them forever to do it, of course. Ben Franklin said this about compound interest, money makes money, and the money that makes money makes money. Kind of repetitive, but we get the idea. Then Dave Ramsey said this, compound interest is the secret sauce of building wealth. We've all seen compound interest calculations, and this is so familiar to many of you. We have financial planners and financial gurus in our church, and so this is right up your alley. But, but to get us all on the same, same uh, theme, just look at a couple illustrations. You know, according to one calculation, if you start with ten thousand dollars, after ten years it'll grow to twenty-five nine at ten percent interest. After twenty years, sixty-seven two. After thirty years, one hundred and seventy-five thousand. After forty years, it grows to four hundred and fifty-two thousand, and that's by just starting with ten thousand. The miracle of compound interest. You've seen these calculations. How about one more? Ben. And Joey, Ben starts at 21, invests $2,400 every year, stops contributing money at age 30. Total contributed, 21.6. Joey starts at 30, invests $2,400 every year until age 67. That's 37 years. Total amount contributed is $88,000. But at the age of 67, Ben's investment grows to over $2.1 million and Joey's to $1.2 million. Those first nine years made a difference of a million dollars. We know that about compound interest. The miracle of compound interest. The bottom line is start young and never ever quit. Who am I talking to over here? We are the same age, these people and me. We're exactly the same age, only different. Start young and never ever quit. What do financial uh, advisors say? The best time to start investing is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. And so, if you have been blessed to understand these principles long ago, keep it up. You've been doing it for 20 years or 30 or whatever, keep it up. But if you find yourself stumbling and falling and failing, and you go, I have really missed time, I have really blown it. I talked to a man the other day with tears in his eyes, say, I really blew it. And I just encourage him then and I encourage all of us now, if you feel like you've blown it, now is the time to start fresh and anew. Give your uh, concerns and regrets to Jesus. Allow him to give you hope for a better future and begin making the rest of your life the best of your life. Start now, rebuilding that marriage, rebuilding your relationship with your kids. The best time to start is 20 years ago, but the second best time is right now. The compound interest r- effect in relationships I think is one of the most important concepts of relationships that really nobody really talks about. Adding value, contributing regularly and consistently over time, feeding the spiritual, emotional, relational bank accounts, if you will, of those precious people in your life. Just like compound interest is key for building a retirement nest egg, So is it critical for building quality relationships over time that last forever. And there are three key ideas that I want us to think about. And you see them on the screen. If you think of planning for retirement, and this is not a financial sermon, but you're thinking about consistent, committed contributions. And I think that is so true for our relationships. You're not going to get it right all the time, but you need to get it right most of the time. I never get it right all the time, but I've got to give it, get it right most of the time. Consistent, committed contributions. Let's look at these one at a time. Consistent in investing. The term that we most of us at least have heard about is dollar cost averaging, and. In its most simplest form, you just continue to invest month after month after month, $50 a month, $100 every single month. When the the market is down, you buy more. And when the market is up, you know, the water table of your investments rise and, and everything moves forward. Dollar cost averaging when times are good, when times are bad. That is a similar idea in relationships because how many have found out that family life doesn't always go perfectly well? How many have found that at least once? And so we continue to sow seed into our children and into our spouse, and we continue to invest, and we continue to contribute, and we continue to show love and kindness and generosity and goodness and virtue and character. We continue to do those things when times are good and when times are bad, especially when times are bad. And we're consistent. And one thing our family members know about us is we're consistent. There may be a lot of things we're not, but one thing we are is we're consistent and we're faithful, it's incumbent upon a steward to be found faithful or consistent. Making consistent contributions, and for the point of my illustration, it's consistent month after month, week after week, day after day, not just the one lump sum illustration, but, but regular, ongoing, consistent contributions. What would your family say about the contributions you're making to them? What would they highlight? What would they see? What they, would they be grateful for? What would they be thankful for? And conversely, what are the things that members of your family are contributing to you that you would say, wow, this matters a lot to me? We were on a FaceTime with our grandkids yesterday and the fact that Rowan and Lily just wanna to talk to us is all I need right now. That's all I need. If I can keep them entertained on the phone, that, that's a good thing, man. If I can talk to them about toys and take them to the garage to see all the buckets of toys that are just waiting for them to play with. The train set that's just waiting for them to show up so we can build. That's all I need from them. <laughs> but they need a lot more from me. As time goes on, how can I be the grandpa I need to be that can bless them in ways that probably I don't even know about right now? Sometimes when we're not careful and thinking clearly, we we think that the Christian life is all about doing things. But really, it's about being. The most important thing in the world for you and me is to be like Jesus. We talk a lot about living, loving, and leading like Jesus. How can I become more like Jesus? How can I live more, love more, lead more like Jesus? How can I become a representation of him? And I was thinking about this as I was reflecting on our trip to the Holy Land. And one of my favorite, favorite places in the Holy Land that I've been able to visit on four occasions is uh, the Mount of Beatitudes. You see a beautiful picture of it here, just gorgeous area overlooks the Sea of Galilee. And, you know, as you kind of make your way around the church that commemorates kind of the place where Jesus taught, there's, you know, beautiful little, you know, valleys that would serve as a, a natural amphitheater where Jesus could have taught. When you think of the Beatitudes, you think of the quintessential teachings of Jesus, the core teachings of Jesus that are expounded in the Sermon on the Mount and throughout the Gospels and then throughout the New Testament. If you were to say, what are the most essential teachings of Jesus? you would be the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes describe who we are to be. And one of the ways that we contribute to our spouse and contribute to our children and contribute to our grandchildren and so on and so forth is to be our best self. The people in your life need your best self. Are you giving them your best? And one of the ways that we become our best is by becoming more like Christ. Look at the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Do those in your family know that you desperately need God? You know it, but do they know that you know it? I desperately need God in my life. Blessed are those who mourn. Does your family know that that you mourn over sin, that you are deeply wounded by the sin that you commit, relational sin and other kinds of sin, and that, that you are devastated and you run to God and ask for forgiveness? Do your family members see you as someone who's meek, free of hubris and arrogance and pride, but someone who is really humble. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Whenever I see that beatitude, I think about living life right, living it in the right order. God first, you second, me third. But is that really how you run your life, or is it more like, I'm first, I'm second, I'm third, and God and everybody else has to fight for fourth. Seriously. Hunger and thirst for the right order of things. Merciful. Are you quick to forgive? Are you quick to ask for forgiveness? Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Are you seen as someone with guile, manipulator, a power broker? Or are you pure in heart? Are you a peacemaker, a bridge builder, or a bridge burner? Whenever I see the, the eighth beatitude persecuted, I think of the word conviction. Are you known as someone that has a deep conviction to live, love, and lead like Christ, to honor Christ, to be what Christ wants you to be? Consistent committed contributions to me it starts and ends by being the right person not just doing the right things your spouse your kids your grandkids your work associates associates and add other circles of relationship to that list as I said a moment ago need your best self And I know within the sound of my voice, there are those that will take this serious and you will fall to your knees and you will say, God, forgive me for not giving my best to you and to the most precious people in my life. Ask yourself, are you a depositor in the lives of others or do you just make withdrawals? Do you make consistent contributions or not? I had to chuckle when we were on our trip to the Holy Land. Uh, Olivia leads our young adult ministry. She's 25 years of age and when uh, we were on the trip she uh, learned that she had just become a pastor. She received her ministry credentials. Let's give a big hand to Olivia everybody. And so we were uh, at a particular place in Bethlehem that gave me a Bible with uh, you know beautiful uh, olive wood on it, and uh, uh, I said, hey, I want you to have this, Olivia, to commemorate this trip and you becoming a pastor, and may God bless you for years and years to come. Well, later in the trip, as I mentioned a little bit last week, we uh, were trying to leave Cairo and get to Istanbul, catch a flight and get to Seattle, And it was looking very, very much that we were not going to be able to make that work. The flight coming out of Cairo was late. I talked to the agent. I said, can you hold the plane? Yes, we will hold the plane. Naive me, believed him. (laughs) I'm looking at my watch saying there's no way, there's no way, but he said they're going to hold the plane. That's great. we got 33 people. We've got a sick person here. We need to get back to Seattle. We get off the plane. I'm telling myself they're going to hold the plane. I get off, you know, go up the, uh, the, the walkway, get out in the main lobby area there, and there's an agent calling for all of the Seattle people. I'm thinking, this is awesome. They're going to fast route us right to the front of the line. And I go up there and uh, say, hey, I'm the leader of the group. He said, uh, the plane already left. <laughs> and in a moment, I could look in his eyes and realize there's nothing he can do about it. Am I expecting him to get on a phone and say, hey, plane, you know, you're 2,000 miles down the road. Turn around and come back. Is that going to happen? And so I just turned around and told the folks, you know, we lost, lost our flight. we got to figure out hotels and busing and, you know, try this again tomorrow. And Olivia comes up to me and she says, hey, good job keeping your cool. <laughs> and I thought that was really nice of her. Nobody else probably noticed, but she did. You know, and quite frankly, um, you know, what does it do to, what good does it do to yell and scream anyway? And I just got to thinking about that. You know, people are watching us. You that have little kids at home, your kids are watching you. On many occasions, I had to apologize to my three boys. You know, I didn't do that right. I'm sorry. Maybe you need to do that to your kids. It's humbling. You don't want to do it too often. It kind of makes you feel like you're not living, loving, and leading like Jesus very well. But it's important for them to see you admit they know what you did was wrong. They knew you were impatient. They knew you were angry. You might as well come clean and teach them about how to work through those things. Your spouse knows. Maybe you need to talk to your husband or wife here this afternoon and apologize for how you hurt their feelings, how you ignored them, how you manipulated them. Consistent. Faithful. The second word is committed. You know, compound interest in retirement planning requires commitment. Every financial planner will say paycheck to paycheck, every month, regular, whatever words they use, you just gotta be committed to this. That means you gotta do without some other things, sacrifice some other things so that you stay true to fulfill your goals. And they help us remember what our goals are. Every financial book you read from The Millionaire Next Door to The Automatic Millionaire to The Latte Factor to Dave Ramsey this to uh, Ron Blue that, everybody will say, you got to save and you got to do it regularly and you got to keep at it and you got to be committed. No matter what it takes, you got to be committed. Well, it's true in relationships, isn't it? We must stay committed. We must remain committed. In money, we make commitment to budget, to give, to save, to be content, to curb spending, all those things. In relationships, we we make a commitment to sacrifice for others, to give to others, to serve others, to be a blessing to others, to contribute into their lives in various ways. Relationships require commitment. And we live in a day and age where commitment is here today and gone tomorrow. We, we give up on each other far too easily. And I'm not talking about toxic relationships at work where you need to, to build boundaries and margins. You may have a real, real ornery, mean person at work that you just got to save your mental, you know, attitude and, and kind of build a circle around it. I'm certainly not talking about any woman who is in an abusive relationship where your husband is beating on you. The Bible in no way, shape, or form condones that at all. And if you know of anybody in that su- situation Make sure you help them get out. If you're in that situation, get out. Get safe. I'm not talking about any of that. But I am talking about the normal strains of life. When life becomes hard and becomes difficult and we run out of money and stresses are high and difficulties occur and challenges pop up and Difficulties with the kids here and difficulties with that over there. And all of a sudden this surprise popped up. And if we're not careful, the wear and tear of the regular rhythms of life can wear us down. But we shouldn't give up. We've got to stay committed. We've got to find a way to come together and be together and go through this together. I introduced two men this morning who probably for the first time, at least I think for the first time, understood that they have something really significant in common. At about age 40, their wives passed away and left them with young children to raise. That's not easy. That's hard. Demanding jobs? trying to figure out how to care for those precious children. They only had one option. Fortunately, they knew Jesus, and they leaned into Christ. There's probably very few of us that understand anything about that. But we all have problems, and the same is true for us. We must lean into Christ. Is your marriage on the rocks? Lean into Jesus. Get counseling, get help, don't give up. Is your family going kind of sideways? Get some help, don't give up. Trust Jesus. As I prayed earlier, I pray that struggling families will become strong and strong families will become even stronger. And that certainly is the goal, the prayer, the hope, the dream, the desire of our church. Be committed, accumulating contributions over time, build a great marriage. Think of the deposits that Paul tells us about in 1 Corinthians 13. Deposit patience and kindness. Root out envy and boasting. Be humble, not rude. Root out self-seeking and angry episodes. Don't be a grudge holder. Be honest, protect, trust, hope, and persevere. When you visit the Holy Land, you'll come to two different sites. One is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and the other is the Garden Tomb. Historians will say one of these two areas is probably the place Jesus died on the cross and was buried nearby in a tomb. And most biblical scholars will say it's the place of the the Holy Sepulchre, Church of the Holy Sepulchre. That's probably the most likely place for a variety of reasons. But all of us that visit really prefer the Garden Tomb because it feels better. It it looks like a tomb and off to the side there's a, a hill that looks like a skull and it just kind of feels better more than a gaudy church building. But as we reminded each other again on this trip, even though we're not sure where it was, we are sure that it was. We don't know where Jesus exactly was crucified, we're not sure exactly which tomb is the right tomb, but we know Jesus did die on the cross and he was buried in a tomb and he rose from the dead. Can I hear a big amen? Yes. And when I, when I was there, and certainly as I thought about it here this week, Jesus Christ demonstrated the utmost of commitment for us, his family, when he died on that cross. And as you look at those pictures and you think about Jesus' sacrifice, remember what he said in John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. Make consistent, committed contributions. The best time to start is 20 years ago. The second best time is right now. And finally, we're almost out of time. As time goes on, the word contributions will come into play as you talk to your financial planner and they'll say, hey, here's where you're at, here's where you want to go, and probably for most of us, it's uh, you're a little behind. (laughs) How many have ever heard that? You're going to have to make up for lost time. You're going to have to do more if you want to get to where you want to go. You're going to have to do a little bit more. You know, it's easy for us to become complacent and to kind of just float through life and kind of keep doing the same old, same old but I wonder if the precious people in your life need you to do more. They need you to love more. They need for you to contribute more. They need for you to become a greater blessing in their life. Lisa and I have been married 38 years. This is a different era for us than when we first got married and when we had three little boys and so on and so forth. I'm asking God how I can be a greater blessing to my wife and contribute more and deposit more into her relational and spiritual and emotional account, if you will. My three boys and my two daughters-in-law and my two grandchildren, very same question. How can I be my very best self contribute everything that God wants me to contribute into their lives from afar but to do more, to be more to be a major contributor not withdraw but contribute to be intentional, to be impactful, to be purposeful to be prayerful How can I do that for my church family, my staff, the leaders of this great church, this great church congregation? As so I was pinning out this part of the sermon I thought of the visit we had to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a big olive grove area and there's a place where you know, probably the big rock was that we see pictured in a lot of pictures where Jesus stretched out and he prayed. And you can literally look across the Kidron Valley and see the eastern gate. And there's no question that Jesus knew what awaited him. He knew he soon would be arrested in that garden. He knew that an ear would be cut off, that he'd have to heal. He knew he'd be led across that Kidron Valley, through that gate, into a place where he would be tortured within an inch of his life. That cat of nine tails coming down on his back over and over again. He knew that he would almost die, but then he'd have to carry a cross to Golgotha. Whether he knew all the details of all of that or some of the details of some of that, he knew he was about to go to the cross. The most humiliating, painful, torturous death ever imagined, created by the Romans for that purpose. No wonder he sweat drops of blood. I couldn't help but think of our days earlier traveling around the Sea of Galilee where Jesus showered people with love, shared and healed, and and just worked himself to a frazzle, ministering, healing, needing to try to escape so he could get some rest. He had done so much for so many people, but now he had come to Jerusalem and he was asked to do more. And none of us are being asked to die on a cross to save the world. But I want to pose the same question. Where is God asking you to do more? Where is ask God asking you to be more? Where is God asking you to be more intentional about contributing more into the lives and the depository of the most important people in the world to you? For some of you, that's a very, very easy question to answer. For others, it might take a little thinking. If we go back to 1 Corinthians 13, maybe we need to be more patient. Maybe we need to be more kind. Maybe we need to stop angry episodes. Maybe we need to be more honest. Maybe we need to be more protective of each other's feelings. Maybe we need to be more trusting and trustworthy. Maybe we need to forgive more freely, not hold grudges. At 2 o'clock today, to wrap up this sermon, or I'll never get there. At two o'clock today, I'll be doing a funeral for a family who lost their son, their loved one, at a young age. 27 years of old, young man passed away unexpectedly, tragically. As I've been thinking and praying about that service, I'm just reminded again of what we all know life is short. Life is fragile. We must focus like we've never focused before. We must double our efforts. We must become the people God wants us to be. There is no time to waste. There is no time to be complacent. God is calling us to be those kind of people. And so as we close this sermon, I want to encourage you. You're not always going to get it right, but you need to mostly get it right. Do not become weary in well doing. Focus on consistent, committed contributions over time in the lives of those loved ones. And remember, your family is precious, but not just to you. It's more precious to God even than to you. You've been given a trust, it's incumbent for a steward to be unfaithful. Let's be faithful stewards of the most precious treasure. God has given us and that's our families. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the word of God. Now Lord, help us apply the word of God. Lord, I pray for those here today that really need to start at the very beginning which is committing their life to you. And if that's you, friend, I wanna encourage you. I wanna strongly encourage you to make a faith commitment to simply pray, Lord, come into my life, forgive me of my sins. I want to become a Christ follower. Or maybe recommit your life to Christ. Maybe you've kind of strayed away in recent days and it's time to recommit, recommit your life. As you get focused on some of the things that are most important in your life. Today I commit my life to you, forgive me my sins, Lord, or I recommit my life to you. Pray that prayer in your heart of hearts and, and please tell me about it. There's a connection card online. There's also one in front of you if you're here uh, present. Today, if you desire to more than ever before be the person Christ wants you to be in your marriage and in your family, today, if you're burdened about your marriage or your family, Today, if you have some major concerns in your marriage or family and you want to stand in for your family, I want you to stand to your feet with me right now. I want you to stand up all over this place. I'm standing in for my family. I want to include you in this closing prayer. God, I want to be the person you want me to be. I want to consistently make committed contributions in the life of my wife, my husband, my children, other people and my family. God, I want to be the person you called me to be. Maybe you need a healing in your marriage. Maybe you need a healing in your family. Maybe you need a miracle of one kind or another in your family. I want you just to stand all over this place with me. And, Lord, you see each and every one who's standing. You know the need. God, you know the burden we have for our kids, our grandkids, our spouse. God, you know the things that are on our heart, the things that matter to us. And we know the things that matter to you. And, God, we just pray that you'll intervene and bless every husband, bless every husband. Father, bless every wife, bless every mother, bless every child, bless every young person. God, we pray for every grandma, for every grandpa. We pray for every individual, God, in our church family, that, God, you will help us become more than ever before the people that you have called us to be. May we live and love and lead like Jesus. May it be not just stuff we do, but who we are. your blessing, God, on every family, every marriage, every home. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, we're going to sing a final song. I'm going to invite our prayer team forward online and traditions. We'll close the services there. I invite you, if you'd like special prayer for your marriage, for your family, invite you to come. Let's sing together, everybody.